We are in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, going through the Bible. Going through the Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I got to tell you, I have really enjoyed being in this book. I hope that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. <laughs> but uh, I, I tell you, it is so deep and heavy. Uh, it, 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 uh, it's, it's been really cool just meditating on it and preparing these lessons. And it's not the book that you run to usually, but it is so rich. It really is. And we will be finishing it out this evening, Lamentations chapter 4 and 5. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, every bit of it, including this book. And we know it's all here for a purpose, Lord. And the purpose is for us living in Boston in the United States in the year 2012, Lord. You you wrote it for us at this time. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will just, as we close out uh, this weekend, Lord, that you'd bless us by your spirit, through your word. And I do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Lamentations, the first... As I have mentioned in, in the introduction to the study, and I think I mentioned it last time as well, this, the first four chapters are written in acrostics, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each verse is, starts with, you know, the first Hebrew letter is Aleph, and then it goes down in, uh, throughout the alphabet. The second verse is the second letter. The third verse is the, the third letter. Uh, the first and second chapter have 22 verses. The third chapter has 66 verses, and so and that one's broken down in three, so 22 times three. The fourth is another acrostic. The fifth chapter, I know I've gotten back and forth on this. I think I have it right on, uh, tonight, but it's actually not an acrostic, although there is, it's not written with an acrostic, but there are 22 verses. But again, such an overwhelming tragedy to see Jerusalem and the temple burned to the ground. I mean, just an unthinkable tragedy in the life of a Jew for their temple to be burned to the ground. Again, the setting, the monarchy was set up under King Saul. King David set up the Messianic reign, the first king of the Messianic reign, and for about 350 years, there was a king, a descendant of David, reigning in Jerusalem. And there were nine good kings, there were a bunch of bad kings, there were prophets along the way to declare the word of God, and the last prophet uh, during this, uh, the, during the monarchy was Jeremiah, there were some other prophets as well prophesying at the same time, actually Ezekiel 
uh, was prophesying some of the time that Jeremiah was. But Jeremiah for 40 years had been warning the Jews and warning Israel that if they don't turn back, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, including the temple. And it fell upon deaf ears. And some really, really heavy things um, are said uh, in the book of Jeremiah. And at one point, the Lord actually says, look, stop praying. It's really, you're not in a good place when the Lord says, stop praying for this country. The country is not in a good place when God says that of the country. But that's actually what uh, they, uh, what the Lord said to Jeremiah. I was in Haiti last weekend and I was coming home from uh, Haiti on the airplane and there was a guy sitting next to me and he was an older fellow and he was in his 70s and I introduced myself and oh man uh, I, I wasn't prepared for what he started giving me I, I think he was hard to hear and, and in a very loud voice started talking about this United States and uh, all the terrible things that were going to happen to it. And he was quoting Jeremiah, that very verse that it says uh, in Jeremiah, stop praying for this country. And I, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, everyone's like looking at us and I'm going like this, you know, he's loudly saying, and, but, but I told him, look, it's my hope that we're in a season similar, more similar to Ahaz, who ruled at ruled out an earlier time where Hezekiah came in and there was a wonderful revival. And the people wondered that the, we're, we're all in, I talked about this this morning, we're all uh, marveled that the revival uh, and, and repentance happened so quickly. But Jeremiah for 40 years warned and finally the, what he warned for 40 years happened. The king of Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem. By the way, it was the third time the king of Babylon came in. So God always gives warning signs. He came in once, dragged a bunch of people away back to Babylon, 900 miles away, but didn't destroy the temple. He came in again, dragged some more people back to Babylon, all the while Jeremiah prophesying that, come on, don't you guys get it? Don't you see? This is how where sin blinds. It's just how incredible, how sin blinds. They didn't see, and finally, uh, it happened. He came in in, I think, 586 uh, BC, and he destroyed, he burned it down, the temple. And such a traumatic event in the life of Israel that every August 14th, of every year, this book, the Book of Lamentations, is read in Israel, and to facilitate memorization, it's written with acrostics. And so we close out the last um, couple of chapters. Verse 1 begins of chapter 4, how the gold has become dim. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. So the stones of the temple are scattered around. 
Jerusalem. And how the gold becomes dim in the reign of Solomon. He made silver like rocks because gold was he just everything he just everything was out of gold the 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 forks the knives the vessels the cups the goblets he put gold he plastered it everywhere and over time all of it was just torn away and given given over to various kings that that Israel began to sort of bribe not to attack them and and uh, then, of course, by this time, again, Jeremiah allegedly wrote the Book of Lamentations in a grotto, a cave overlooking Jerusalem, and, and he's now speaking in the present tense. In the book of Jeremiah, he's speaking about the future. Lamentations, he's speaking about what he sees, how the gold has become dim, how changed the fine gold. Now, if you remember, in Hebrew... The title of this book is what? How. <laughs> Not like the Indian language kind of how, but, but it's, a, it's, it's whatever the Hebrew uh, word is for how, and it's how did this happen? How did we come to this? H- how? And, and the same word here. This word here, the original Hebrew, it's the title of the book. Verse 2, the precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the works of the hands of the potter. There had been a time where you read under Jehoshaphat and under Hezekiah and others where the young people, the Levites, went out and taught people the word of God where the, the Jerusalem was filled with young men who knew the word of God. Here they're referred to the precious sons of, of Zion. Oh, they were as valuable as fine gold. I mean, what, what just a... a a wonderful place a nation is in when it's, when it's filled with multitudes of young men and young women who know the word of God. But now they've all been either exiled away or uh, they have been killed or they, there's been such a degeneration in the spiritual knowledge of the country that they're regarded as clay pots. Verse 3, even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. Now, just as an aside for those of you who care about these things, and I suppose all of you should, but that word jackals, anyone have the King James what does the King James say? Sea monster or Leviathan. And, and that's what every single other time in the Old Testament this is translated. It's that word. You see it in the book of Job and other places. Actually, about 20 different references to some kind of large sea creature. For whatever reason, they stick in jackals here. Uh, and so sea monsters like the 
whatever scholars debate as to what that is. They're here, a sea monster nurses their young, but the daughter of the daughters of my people are cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. Now, anyone know what happens when sometimes when ostriches lay their eggs? Anyone? They step on them and destroy them. And, and, and it's like, whoa, what's this about? You know, that's what ostriches do sometimes. And we're going to get to a lot more descriptive language than that. That, that, that the women were destroying their young. There was such famine and desolation. For verse 4, the tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the street. Those who were brought up in scarlet, meaning in wealth, embrace Ash heaps, the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom. Wow. I guess you could definitely say that I, I, I guess if I, it was I, me choosing, I, I would rather have just fire come from the sky and just kill me instantly, than uh, have this kind of environment where there's cannibalism. Unfortunately, we're going to read more than that. Children who are asking for bread and have none, having to watch your own child die, yeah. Uh, the punishment is greater now. The punishment is greater because the sin is greater. Why was the sin greater? Because they sinned against light. They had the truth. True Sodom, they were sinning against their conscience and natural law, but, but they were sinning against light. They had prophets. They knew better. It says, The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Her Nazarites, some translations say Levites, some say nobles, some translations say nobles, were brighter than snow, whiter than milk. They were ruddy in body, more ruddy in body than rubies. Meaning the, 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 the ministers in the temple were, again, filled with the word of God, Faithful servants. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in the appearance, but now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the street. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. So remember when Jeremiah was in the book of Jeremiah, he was weeping because the Lord was giving him visions of this kind of thing that would happen in the future. He literally would see dead bodies strewn around and, and, and as I tell you, the burden of a prophet. I was speaking last week in, 
in, in Haiti, the book of Malachi begins with the burden of the prophet Malachi. It's, it's um, a burden. God gives us, too, sometimes a burden. And, uh, and I tell you, uh, those things that Jeremiah saw were in the future, but now he's seen them and he's just putting down in writing what he is seeing with an acrostic so that they can memorize, so they, they can say this every year and that this will never happen again. Verse 9, those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the first fruits of the field. Okay, now it really gets ugly. The hands of the compassionate women, and these are the compassionate women, have cooked their own children. Now, we don't know if the children have already died at this point. But it does give you a picture of the spiritually the nation had declined so much. It, like the book of Judges, you have crazy stories like Jephthah sacrificing his daughter because of a foolish vow. The 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 the, the spiritual climate was just so low. They, they did the same things that the nations around them did. At this time, this type of thing would happen. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it, it has devoured its foundation. The kings of the earth and all inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. There had been a time where, uh, recently in their history, under the time of Uzziah, such strength that Uzziah uh, built up strongholds all around Judah, all around the country, made it impenetrable. And, and no one, in Jerusalem itself, just impenetrable. Now, there were a couple times throughout First and Second Kings that uh, the northern ten tribes came down and, and went into Jerusalem. But it was just seen as an impenetrable fortress. It was also, you know, you had to go up to Jerusalem. And when you're going up and when you're dealing with walls that are very thick, yeah, how do you penetrate that? It says the kings of the earth would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could have entered. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the last siege, he was outside of these gates, these walls of Jerusalem for some, was it 18 months, a year and a half, something like that? So even Nebuchadnezzar in all his power, he was the most powerful man in the world, powerful monarch in the world. Actually, in the history of the world, he's considered one of the most powerful uh, monarchs. He still couldn't get into Jerusalem. It took him 18 months and, 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 and basically to try to starve them to death. He finally was able to break uh, through because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst the blood of the just. Habakkuk says in the book of Habakkuk, God says to Habakkuk, if I told you what I was going to do, you would not believe me. 
And here, even the kings of the earth and the inhabitants would not have believed if they knew the depths of the judgment. But let me tell you, there is a part, you know, when the religious leadership of a nation, this says, because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just, when the religious leadership of a country when they turn and they and and they you know they begin sinning against light when they the religious leadership and you see you know throughout history in the inquisition in russia today in eritrea today today in eritrea the christian church is responsible for the systematic persecution of Christian believers. And we have some folks from Eritrea in our church. They, it is against the law to be anything other than an orthodox Christian in the country of Eritrea. And so they hunt Christians down and they put them in these steel crates and you don't, you won't even meet someone from Eritrea who's a Christian who does not have relatives or friends who this has happened to. But let me tell you, judgment's around the corner when the religious leadership is, is shedding blood of the just, as verse 13 says. They wandered blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. They cried out to them, go away unclean, go away, do not touch us. When they fled and wandered, those among the nation said, they shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scatter them, he no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests, nor show favor to the elders. So a nation reaches a low point when the clergy who are supposed to be a model of godliness, a nation that where the people don't respect the clergy, the priests, the pastors of the country has reached a, a particularly low point. By the way, do we have I sent on Friday. You're looking at me like you don't have it. I have a chart of the least, it went to your email, the least respected professions. Does anyone know who the least respected profession is? <laughs> no, but construction people, they're way down there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What? No, not quite. Garbage, man. No, they're res highly respected. Come on, it's so easy. Teachers. Do you know, okay, let me, let's start with something else. Let, let's start with something else. What is the most respected profession in the United States of America? You're not allowed to answer. No. 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 Actually, it's like way above everyone else. Kirk's not allowed to answer. Little hint, hint, nurse. 
Nurses are the most respected profession in the United States of America. And, um, but anyway, so I, I actually had a picture of a used car salesman. I wanted, I wanted to show it. A used car salesman, number one. Or rather, least. Least respected. I mean, poor guys. Uh, used car salesman. But... Um, it, it's disturbing the clergy are sort of right in the middle of a pack to me. That 50 years ago, that would have been very diff- different. I mean, even doctors are above clergy. Um, just kidding, Eric. But um, uh, actually, doctors are, I think, they're number three after nurses and I can't, pharmacists or something like that is, is number two. So, uh, but it's disturbing to me and it's, I, I don't think that's a surprise, but that clergy who are, st- I mean, their whole life is supposed to be about godliness and teaching it. And, and uh, you know, uh, it's an indication of the spiritual decline of, of, of the country that the people do not respect the priests. Isn't that interesting? You know, isn't it interesting that we read throughout the book of of Jeremiah that the the priests and the prophets were just saying to people what they wanted to hear? And when you do that, people don't even respect you. If if they only knew. (laughs) I mean, they're doing it so that people will like them and think more favorably of them. But deep down inside, men and women really do want the truth. And, and, but, but, but for years, they had just uh, been teaching what they're uh, teaching people, you know, what they wanted to hear rather than what they needed to hear. Verse 17, still our eyes failed us watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watch for a nation that could not save us. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord was caught in their pits of whom we said under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Now that's a, that's the verses definitely needs interpretation. The the anointed of the Lord was their king who was at the time Zedekiah. He was the anointed of the Lord. He was in the messianic reign of kings. And it says he was caught in their pits. He tried to escape, actually, and got caught in the plains of Megiddo. And it was of Zedekiah, their king. It's under his shadow, we shall live among the nations, under the shadow of the king. But he was caught. And he was put, he, he, he actually was, had his eyes plucked out. All his, all his sons were killed before his eyes, and then his eyes were plucked out. He was dragged away to um, Babylon, and there he lived out his years. Verse 21, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. 
the cup shall also pass over to you and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. Now Edom, descendants of Esau, generational enemies of Israel because remember Esau was Jacob's brother and remember there was great conflict and betrayal there uh, in that relationship and that that animosity in their relationship continued for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Now today, uh, you cannot find an Edomite. Who was the last known Edomite? Very good. Very good. Who else knew that? Raise your hand. Just be humble. I know Kirk does. Okay. Um, Herod was the last Edomite, although he claimed to be a convert to Judaism. All the Herods, actually. Herod wasn't just one person. It was a number of folks. But uh, the man who ordered uh, all the children under two in Bethlehem to be destroyed, and he was as well, is he either his son or nephew or I can't remember, was one who slayed the Apostle James, and then another one uh, uh, appeared before the Apostle Paul. They were Edomites, allegedly converted to Judaism. Verse 22. But but anyway, here it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, meaning this has happened to you, this country, the, the, the Israel who you hate so much. So rejoice and be glad. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished. O daughter of Zion, he will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. So Edom would have to be, would be judged uh, eventually. But here, even in the book of Lamentations, you see hope there, right in the middle of verse 22. He will no longer send you into captivity, meaning they're in captivity, but that would have a limited time period, 70 years. Chapter 5 is a prayer. The whole chapter is a prayer. It's the kind of thing that you could just as well read in the book of Psalms, verse 1, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. What does reproach mean? Reproach concerns others' attitudes for you. In the Bible, it says that an elder of a church or a leader in a church needs to be above reproach, meaning when people see you from outside the church, you're not open to accusation. Well, here, they are under reproach. Nations are looking at them and despising them and are in awe over the judgment that had happened to them. Verse 2, our inheritance has been turned over to aliens in our houses, to foreigners. We have become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. We pay for the water we drink and our wood comes at a price. Can you imagine paying for water? I remember when I was 16 years old, when they started selling bottles of water. I, I mean, it was this is like this weirdest thing. Who would ever waste money by buying a bottle of water? And my cousin Lenny bought a bottle of water for 25 cents, and I was just mocking him. 
why would you pay for 25 cents for a bottle of water? And he's like, well, it tasted so good, though. It's like, well, no different than tap water. Well, now, of course, we pay at a Red Sox game. How much are waters now at Red Sox games? Like six bucks? It's more expensive than a big Coke? I mean, it's crazy. But uh, anyway, the thought that they would be paying for water was just a, a crazy thing. We pay for water we drink in our wood comes at a price. Oh, man. So they were, you know, water and wood were free at the time. They, they knew abundance. Verse 5, they pursue at our, our heels. We labor and have no rest. We have hurt, given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. We bear the iniquities of our fathers. Now, Exodus chapter 20. What's in Exodus chapter 20? (laughs) Only you can say the law, like the law. The law, that's right. The law, the Ten Commandments. It says this, Second Commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Does anyone know what the next few uh, words are? Of those who hate me. You know, the wonderful thing about coming to Christ, he became a curse for us. And the cycle of sin that inflicted our father or afflicted our mother can be broken. But it does say, however, that you, do, you can have this chain of sin where the, 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 the sin of the father is visited upon the children. But it says, of those who hate me, which means what? Yeah, it was the sin of their fathers, but they hated God themselves with their behavior. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hands. Now re- remember, was it Gedaliah who was their last governor after the, the, did we read that in the book of Jeremiah? After that final exile, Jerusalem was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar imposed a governor. His name was Gedaliah, I think. If it wasn't, you can shout out. And he was a godly man. He's actually, his grandfather or father was in Josiah's court. He was the last good king, but he was assassinated. And so what happened is that anyone, there was just anarchy and, and, and nothing wrong with the, necessarily in and of itself with the character of a servant. But many times throughout history, a, a, a servant would just... In, in a time of anarchy would, would get up and reign and, and would wind up being a tyrant. 
Not all the time, but that's what that is referring to. Servants rule over us. So after a godly governor was killed, there's this period of anarchy where there's really no governor. Verse 9, we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. They ravished the women in Zion, the maidens in the cities of Judah. So oftentimes women in times of war are the victims. Verse 12, princes were hung up by their hands and elders were not respected. Young men ground at the millstones. Boys staggered under loads of wood. So they made the boys' slaves. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Remember, this is a prayer. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Now, Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite psalms. You don't have to turn there, but I will read some of it says this, it's a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you. He puts that crown on you of loving kindness and tender mercy. And so there's the, this allusion here to the crown of tender mercy and loving kindness having fallen from their heads. But then it says, Woe to us, for we have sinned. Now, nothing better could happen to a nation when the people, to a man, to a woman, just cry out to God and say, That's it, we're at the bottom of the barrel. We know why we're here. It's our own sin no longer shaking the fist at God and this type of thing. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Sin will do that to you. Sin will turn you into the most fearful, anxious, filled person. It will just... Drain your heart of courage. You see, because of our sin, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. You know, no one is ever happier because of sin. Verse 18 says, Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes walking about on it, you, O Lord, remain forever your throne from generation to generation. And worship is, is so important. Someone asked me when I got home today, what, what's more important? The message that goes out on Sunday morning or the worship? And they said, isn't it equally important trying to look to see if the person is here that said that. Oh, they're not. But actually, worship is more important. We were, we'll be worshiping in heaven. God is 
wants, he's, he's, he's seeking after people to worship him in spirit and truth. The thing about the message, though, the word of God, is we don't know who we're worshiping unless we read the word of God. So supremely, we were formed and created to be worshipers. So in that sense, it's the supreme thing. It's the most important thing. But we so desperately need the word of God to know the one who created us, to know the one we're worshiping. So we know who we're worshiping. That's why there is a great emphasis at Calvary Chapel on knowing the word of God. You, Lord, remain forever you, your throne from generation to generation. Here there's worship in the midst of desolation. And, oh my. Will you be distinct in the eyes of your family, your friends, your co-workers? If you're able to worship in the midst of great tragedy. You know, this horrible tragedy in Connecticut, you know, Boston, we've had some horrible tragedies. I, I remember this pastor in Roxbury a few years ago, his 14-year-old son shot to death right in front of his house. Good kid. They shot the wrong guy. And... At the funeral, there, there was just like this incredible worship service and like the mayor is there and all these other people and, 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 and it was just made such a huge impression on so many people that went that, whoa, what's all this praise about? When you're able to worship, when you're able to praise God and if all sometimes, you know, all that we can eke out in our praise, eke out of our mouths, is, is something like this. Verse 19, you, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. And it says, why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long time? Turn us back to you, O Lord. Don't be deceived. Repentance is from the Lord. You can't manufacture it. You can't, like, stir up repentance in you. Even that comes from the Lord. You can't give yourself credit. Oh, I repented. That other guy, my neighbor, didn't. Sorry. The Bible says repentance is from the Lord. And sometimes this is a great prayer. Lord, my spiritual sensitivity has shriveled up completely. Please turn me back to you, O Lord. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Psalm 51, where David is repenting after a sin with Bathsheba, killing her husband Uriah says this, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. That word contrite in the Hebrew, great word. In the Hebrew, it means crushed. Oh, how the world despises a broken and contrite spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
but it's exactly the, the man, the woman who has a broken and contrite heart. It's exactly who he can use when they come to an end. When we come to an end of ourselves, we really recognize that we have nothing to offer, nothing to offer the Lord. We can't even offer our own repentance that we manufacture. It's just, it's, even that's from the Lord. That's when the Lord can really use us. That's when we become a free-flowing vessel of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, in, in that sense, that that's a wonderful sort of last chapter of the book of Lamentations that, again, the Lord will burn every bridge except the one that leads to him, and he's got their attention here. They're broken, and they're contrite, they're crushed, and they will return to Jerusalem. The, the, uh, the temple's going to be rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem are going to be rebuilt. And the book of Haggai says, and it'll be, there'll be greater glory in that temple. Now, why is that? Because Jesus Christ would come and into that temple. And, uh, and his glory would be there. And so that's the book of Lamentations. Praise the Lord. Uh, we, we are going to be going into the book of Ezekiel. Guillermo gave us a taste of that last weekend. But actually tonight we are going to have a time of worship.